0: Section 2 part 1 of the 14 orations against Marcus Antonius called Philippics this is the librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the philippics by marcus tullius cicero the second philippic part 1 the argument this second speech was not actually spoken at all Antonius was greatly enraged at the first speech, and summoned another meeting of the Senate for the nineteenth day of the month, giving Cicero a special notice to be present, and he employed the interval in preparing an invective against Cicero, and a reply to the first Philippic. The Senate met in the Temple of Concord, but Cicero himself was persuaded not to attend by his friends, who were afraid of Antonius proceeding to actual violence against him, and, indeed, he brought a strong guard of armed men with him to the Senate. He spoke with the greatest fury against Cicero, charging him with having been the principal author and contriver of Caesar's murder, hoping by this to inflame the soldiers, whom he had posted within hearing of his harangue. Soon after this, Cicero removed to a villa near Naples for greater safety, and here he composed this second Philippic, which he did not publish immediately, but contented himself at first with sending a copy to Brutus and Cassius, who were much pleased with it. To what destiny of mine, O conscript fathers, shall I say that it is owing, that none for the last twenty years has been an enemy to the Republic, without at the same time declaring war against me? Nor is there any necessity for naming any particular person. You yourselves recollect instances in proof of my statement. They have all hitherto suffered severer punishments than I could have wished for them. But I marvel that you, O Antonius, do not fear the end of those men whose conduct you are imitating. And in others I was less surprised at this. None of those men of former times was a voluntary enemy to me. All of them were attacked by me for the sake of the Republic. But you, who have never been injured by me, not even by a word, in order to appear more audacious than Catiline, more frantic than Clodius, have of your own accord attacked me with abuse, and have considered that your alienation from me would be a recommendation of you to impious citizens. What am I to think, that I have been despised? I see nothing either in my life, or in my influence in the city, or in my exploits, or even in the moderate abilities with which I am endowed which Antonius can despise. Did he think that it was easiest to disparage me in the Senate? A body which has borne its testimony in favor of many most illustrious citizens that they govern the Republic well, but in favor of me alone, of all men, that I preserved it? Or did he wish to contend with me in a rivalry of eloquence? This, indeed, is an act of generosity, for what could be more fertile or richer subject for me than to have to speak in defense of myself, and against Antonius. This, in fact, is the truth. He thought it impossible to prove to the satisfaction of those men who resembled himself, that he was an enemy to his country, if he was not also an enemy to me. And before I make him any reply on the other topics of his speech, I will say a few words, respecting the friendship formerly subsisting between us, which he has accused me of violating, for that I consider a most serious charge. He has complained that I pleaded once against his interest. Was I not to plead against one with whom I was quite unconnected, in behalf of an intimate acquaintance, of a dear friend? Was I not to plead against interest acquired not by hopes of virtue, but by the disgrace of youth? Was I not to plead against an injustice which that man procured to be done by the obsequiousness of a most iniquitous interposer of his veto, not by any law regulating the privileges of the praetor? but I imagine that this was mentioned by you, in order that you might recommend yourself to the citizens, if they all recollected you were the son-in-law of a freedman, and your children were the grandsons of Quintus Fatius a freedman. But you had entirely devoted yourself to my principles, for this is what you said. You had been in the habit of coming to my house. In truth, if you had done so, you would more have consulted your own character and your reputation for charity but you did not do so, nor, if you had wished it, could Gaius Curio ever have suffered you to do so. You have said that you retired in my favor for the contest for the augurship. Oh, the incredible audacity! Oh, the monstrous impudence of such an assertion! For, at the time when Nius Pompeius and Quintus Hortensius named me as an augur, after I had been wished for by the whole college, for it was not lawful for me to be put in nomination by more than two members of the college you were notoriously insolvent. Nor did you think it possible for your safety to be secured by any other means than by the destruction of the Republic. But was it possible for you to stand for the augurship at a time when Curio was not in Italy? Or even at the time when you were elected, could you have got the votes of one single tribe without the aid of Curio, whose intimate friends even were convicted of violence for having been too zealous in your favor?" But I availed myself of your friendly assistance? Of what assistance? Although the instance which you cite I have myself at all times openly admitted, I preferred confessing that I was under obligations to you to letting myself appear to any foolish person not sufficiently grateful. However, what was the kindness that you did to me? Not killing me at Brundisium? Would you then have slain the man whom the conqueror himself? Who conferred on you as you used to boast, the chief rank among all his robbers, had desired to be safe, and had enjoined to go to Italy. Grant that you could have slain him, is not this, O conscript fathers, such a kindness as to be done by banditti, who are contented with being able to boast that they have granted their lives to all those men whose lives they have not taken? And if that were really a kindness, than these who slew that man by whom they themselves had been saved, and whom you yourself are in the habit of styling most illustrious men, would never have acquired such immortal glory. But what sort of kindness is it, to have abstained from committing nefarious wickedness? It is a case in which it ought not to appear so delightful to me, not to have been killed by you, as miserable, that it should have been in your power to do such a thing with impunity. However, grant that it was a kindness, since no greater kindness can be received from a robber, still in what point can you call me ungrateful? Ought I not to complain of the ruin of the Republic, lest I should appear ungrateful towards you? But in that complaint, mournful indeed and miserable, but still unavoidable for a man of that rank in which the Senate and people of Rome have placed me, what did I say that was insulting, that was otherwise than moderate, that was otherwise than friendly, In what instance was it not of moderation to complain of the conduct of Marcus Antonius, and yet to abstain from any abusive expressions? Especially when you had scattered abroad all relics of the Republic, when everything was on sale at your house by the most infamous traffic, when you confessed that those laws which had never been promulgated had been passed with reference to you and by you, when you, being augur, had abolished the auspices being consul, had taken away the power of interposing the veto, when you were escorted in the most shameful manner by armed guards, when, worn out with drunkenness and debauchery, you were every day performing all sorts of obscenities in that chaste house of yours. But I, as if I had to contend against Marcus Crassus, with whom I have had many severe struggles, and not with a most worthless gladiator, while complaining in dignified language of the state of the republic, did not say one word which could be called personal. Therefore, today, I will make him understand with what great kindness he was then treated by me. But he also read letters which he said that I had sent to him, like a man devoid of humanity and ignorant of the common usages of life. For whoever, who was even but slightly acquainted with the habits of polite men, Produced in an assembly and openly read letters which had been sent to him by a friend, just because some quarrel had arisen between them. Is not this destroying all companionship in life? Destroying the means by which absent friends converse together? How many jests are frequently put in letters, which, if they were produced in public, would appear stupid? How many serious opinions, which, for all that, ought not to be published? Let this be proof of your utter ignorance of courtesy now mark also his incredible folly what have you to oppose me o oh, you eloquent man as you seem at least to mastella timisius and to Tiro numisius and while these men are standing at this very time in the sight of the senate with drawn swords i too will think you an eloquent man if you will show how you will defend them if they were charged with being assassins however what answer would you make if i were to deny that i ever sent those letters to you by what evidence could you convict me? By my handwriting? Of handwriting indeed you have a lucrative knowledge. How can you prove it in that manner? For the letters are written by an amanuensis. By this time I envy your teacher, who, for all that payment, which I shall mention presently, has taught you to know nothing. For what can be less like, I do not say an orator, but a man, than to reproach an adversary with a thing, which if he denies by one single word, he who has reproached him cannot advance one step further. But I do not deny it, and in this very point I convict you not only of inhumanity, but also of madness. For what expression is there in those letters which are not full of humanity, and service, and benevolence? And the whole of your charge amounts to this, that I do not express a bad opinion of you in those letters, that in them I wrote to you as a citizen, and as to a virtuous man, not, as to a wicked man, and a robber. But your letters I will not produce, although I fairly might, now that I am thus challenged by you, letters in which you beg of me that you may be enabled by my consent to procure the recall of someone from exile. And you will not attempt it, if I have any objection, and you prevail on me by your entreaties. For why should I put myself in the way of your audacity, when neither the authority of this body, nor the opinion of the Roman people, nor any laws are able to restrain you. However, what was the object of your addressing these entreaties to me, if the man for whom you were entreating was already restored by a law of Caesar's? I suppose the truth was, that he wished it to be done by me as a favor, in which matter there cannot be any favor done even by himself, if a law was already passed for the purpose. But as, O conscript fathers, I have many things which I must say both in my own defence and against Marcus Antonius, one thing I ask you, that you will listen to me with kindness while I am speaking for myself; the other I will ensure myself, namely, that you shall listen to me with attention while speaking against him. At the same time also I beg of this, that you will have been acquainted with my moderation and modesty throughout my whole life, and especially as a speaker; you will not, When today I answer this man in the spirit with which he has attacked me, think that I have forgotten my usual character. I will not treat him as a consul, for he did not treat me as a man of consular rank. And although he in no respect deserves to be considered a consul, whether we regard his way of life, or his principle of governing the republic, or the manner in which he was elected, I am beyond all dispute a man of consular rank that, therefore, you might understand what sort of consul he professed himself to be, he reproached me with my consulship, a consulship which, O conscript fathers, was in name, indeed, mine, but in reality, yours. For what did I determine? What did I contrive? What did I do that was not determined, contrived, or done by the council and authority, and in accordance with the sentiments of this order? And have you, O wise men, O men not merely eloquent, dared to find fault with these actions before the very men by whose counsel and wisdom they were performed. But who was ever found before, except Publius Clodius, to find fault with my consulship? And his fate indeed awaits you, as it also awaited Gaius Curio, since that is now in your house which was fatal to each of them. Marcus Antonius disapproves of my consulship, but it was approved of by Publius Servilius, to name that man first of the men of consular rank who had died most recently, it was approved by Quintus Catulus, whose authority will always carry weight in this republic. It was approved of by the two Luculli by Marcus Crassus, by Quintus Hortensius, by Gaius Curio, by Gaius Piso, by Marcus Glabrio, by Marcus Lepidus, by Lucius Volcatius, by Gaius Figulus, by Decimus Selenus, by Lucius Morena who, at that time, were the consuls-elect. The same consulship, which was also approved of by those men of consular rank, was approved of by Marcus Cato, who escaped many evils by departing from this life, and especially the evil of seeing you consul. But, above all, my consulship was approved of by Nius Pompeius, who, when he first saw me, as he was leaving Syria, embracing me and congratulating me said that it was owing to my services that he was about to see his country again but why should i mention individuals it was approved of by the senate in a very full house so completely that there was no one who did not thank me as if i had been his parent who did not attribute to me the salvation of his life of his fortunes of his children and of the republic but since the republic has been now deprived of those men whom i have named Many and illustrious as they were, let us come to the living, since two of the men of consular rank are still left to us. Lucius Cata, a man of the greatest genius and the most consummate prudence, proposed a supplication of my honor for those very actions with which you find fault in the most complimentary language, and those very men of consular rank whom I have named, and the whole Senate adopted his proposal an honor which has never been paid to any one else in the garb of peace, from the foundation of the city to my time. With what eloquence, with what firm wisdom, with what a weight of authority did Lucius Caesar, your uncle, pronounce his opinion against the husband of his own sister, your stepfather? But you, when you ought to have taken him as your adviser and tutor in all your designs, and in the whole conduct of your life, preferred being like your stepfather to resembling your uncle, I, who had no connection with him, acted by his counsels when I was consul. Did you, who were his sister's son, ever once consult him on the affairs of the Republic? But who are those whom Antonius does consult? O ye immortal gods, they are men whose birthdays we have still to learn. Today Antonius is not coming down. Why? He is celebrating his birthday feast in his villa. In whose honor? I will name no one. Suppose... It is in honor of some Formio, or Natho, or even Balio. Oh, the abominable profligacy of the man! Oh, how intolerable is his impudence, his debauchery, and his lust! Can you, when you have one of the chiefs of the Senate, a citizen of singular virtue, so nearly related to you, abstain from even consulting him on the affairs of the Republic, and consult men who have no property whatsoever of their own, and are draining yours? Yes, Your consulship, forsooth, is a salutary one for the state, mine a mischievous one. Have you so entirely lost all shame as well as all chastity, that you could venture to say that in the temple in which I was consulting that senate, which formerly, in the full enjoyment of its honors, presided over the world? And did you place around it abandoned men armed with swords? And have you dared besides? For what is there which you would not dare, to say that the Capitoline Hill, when I was consul, was full of armed slaves. I was offering violence to the Senate, I suppose, in order to compel the adoption of those infamous decrees of the Senate. O wretched man, whether those things are not known to you, for you know nothing that is good, or whether they are, when you dare to speak so shamelessly before such men. For what Roman knight was there, what youth of noble birth except you, What man of any rank or class who recollected that he was a citizen, who was not on the Capitoline Hill when the Senate was assembled in this temple, who was there who did not give in his name, although there could not be provided checks enough, nor were their books able to contain their names. In truth, when wicked men, being compelled by the revelations of the accomplices, by their own handwriting, and by what I may almost call the voices of their letters, were confessing that they had planned the parasitical destruction of their country, that they had agreed to burn the city, to massacre the citizens, to devastate Italy, to destroy the Republic, who could have existed without being roused to defend the common safety, especially when the Senate and people of Rome had a leader then, and if they had one now like he was then, the same fate would befall you which did overtake them. He asserts that the body of his stepfather was not allowed burial by me, but this is an assertion which was never made by Publius Clodius, a man whom, as I was deservedly an enemy of his, I grieve now to see surpassed by you in every sort of vice. But how could it occur to you to recall to our recollection that you had been educated in the house of Publius Lentulus? Were you afraid that we might think that you could have turned out as infamous as you are by the mere force of nature, if your natural qualities had not been strengthened by education? but you are so senseless that throughout the whole of your speech you were at variance with yourself, so that you said things which had not only no coherence with each other, but which were most inconsistent with and contradictory to one another, so that it was not so much opposition between you and me as there was between you and yourself. You confess that your stepfather had been duplicated in that enormous wickedness, yet you complained that he had punishment inflicted on him. By doing so, You praised what was peculiarly my achievement, and blamed which was wholly the act of the Senate, for the detection and the arrest of the guilty parties was my work, their punishment was the work of the Senate. But that eloquent man does not perceive that the man against whom he is speaking is being praised by him, and that those before whom he is speaking are being attacked by him. But now what an act! I will not say of audacity, for he is anxious to be audacious, but... That which he is not desirous of, what an act of folly in which he surpasses all men is it to make mention of the Capitoline Hill, at a time when our men are actually between our benches, when men, armed with swords, are now stationed at this very temple of concord, O ye immortal gods, in which I was consul, opinions most salutary to the state were delivered, owing to which it is that we are all alive at this day. ACCUSE THE SENATE "'Accuse the equestrian body, which at that time was united with the Senate. "'Accuse every order of society and all the citizens, "'as long as you confess that this assembly, at this very moment, "'is besieged by Itarian soldiers. "'It is not so much a proof of audacity to advance these statements so impudently, "'as of utter want of sense to be unable to see their contradictory nature. "'For what is more insane, then, after you yourself had taken up arms to do mischief to the Republic?' to reproach another with having taken them up to secure its safety. On one occasion you even attempted to be witty, O ye good gods! How little did that attempt suit you? And yet you are a little to be blamed for your failure in that instance, too, for you might have gotten some wit from your wife, who was an actress. Arms to the gown must yield! Well, have they not yielded? But afterwards the gown yielded to your arms. Now let us inquire then whether it was better for the arms of wicked men to yield to the freedom of the Roman people, or that our liberty should yield to your arms. Nor will I make any further reply to you about the verses. I will only say briefly that you do not understand them, nor any other literature whatever, that I have never at any time been wanting to the claims that either the republic or my friends had upon me, but nevertheless that in all the different sorts of composition on which i have employed myself during my leisure hours i have always endeavored to make my labours and my writing such as to be some advantage to our youth and some credit to the roman name but however all this was nothing to do with the present occasion let us consider more important matters you have said that publius clodius was slain by my contrivance What would men have thought if he had been slain at the time when you pursued him in the forum with a drawn sword, in the sight of all the Roman people, when you would have settled his business if he had not thrown himself up the stairs of a bookseller's shop, and, shutting them against you, checked your attack by that means? And I confess that at the time I favored you, but even you yourself do not say that I had advised your attempt. But as for Milo, it was not possible even for me to favor his action, for he had finished the business, before any one could suspect that he was going to do it. Oh, but I advised it. I suppose Milo was a man of such a disposition that he was not able to do a service to the Republic if he had not had someone to advise him to do it. But I rejoiced at it. Well, suppose I did. Was I to be the only sorrowful person in the city, when everyone else was in such delight? Although that inquiry into the death of Publius Clodius was not instituted with any great wisdom for what was the reason for having a new law to inquire into the conduct of the man who had slain him, when there was a form of inquiry already established by the laws? However, an inquiry was instituted, and have you now been found, so many years afterwards, to say a thing which, at the time that the affair was under discussion, no one ventured to say against me? But as to the assertion which you have dared to make, and that at great length, too, that it was by my means that Pompeius was alienated from his friendship with Caesar, and that on my account it was my fault that the civil war was originated, in that you have not erred so much in the main facts as, and that is of the greatest importance, in the times. When Marcus Bibulus, a most illustrious citizen, was consul, I omitted nothing which I could possibly do or attempt to draw off Pompeius from his union with Caesar, in which, however, Caesar more fortunate than I, for he himself drew off Pompeius from his intimacy with me. But afterwards, when Pompeius joined Caesar with all his heart, what could have been my object in attempting to separate them, then? It would have been the part of a fool to hope to do so, and of an impudent man to advise it. However, two occasions did arise on which I gave Pompeius advice against Caesar. You are at liberty to find fault with my conduct on those occasions, if you can. One was when I advised him not to continue Caesar's government for five years more, the other when I advised him not to permit him to be considered as a candidate for the consulship when he was absent. If I had been able to prevent him on either of those particulars, we should never have fallen into our present miseries. Moreover, I also, when Pompeius had now devoted to the service of Caesar all his power, and all the power of the Roman people, and had begun when it was too late to perceive all those things which I had foreseen long before, when I saw that a nefarious war was about to be waged against our country, I never ceased to be the adviser of peace and concord and of some arrangement, and that language of mine was well known to many people. I wish, O Nias Pompeius, that you had either never joined in a confederacy with Gaius Caesar, or else you would never have broken it off. The one conduct would have become your dignity, and the other would have been suited to your prudence. This, O Marcus Antonius, was at all times my advice both respecting Pompeius and concerning the Republic, and if it had prevailed, the Republic would still be standing, and you would have perished through your own crimes and indigence and infamy. But these are all old stories now. This charge, however, is quite a modern one, that Caesar was slain at my contrivance. I am afraid, O conscript fathers, lest I should appear to you to have brought up a sham accuser against myself, which is a most disgraceful thing to do, a man not only to distinguish by me the praises which are my due, but to load me also with those which cannot belong to me. For whoever heard my name mentioned as an accomplice in that most glorious action, and whose name has been concealed who was in the number of that gallant band, concealed do I say, whose name was there that was not at once made public? I should sooner say that some men had boasted, in order to appear to have been concerned in that conspiracy, though they had in reality known nothing of it, than that any one who had been an accomplice in it could have wished to be concealed. Moreover, how likely is it that among such a number of men, some obscure, some young men, who had not the wit to conceal any one, my name could possibly have escaped notice?' Indeed, if leaders were wanted for the purpose of delivering the country, what need was there of instigating the Bruti, one of whom saw every day in his house the image of Lucius Brutus, and the other saw the image of Ahalla? Were these the men to seek counsel from the ancestors of others rather than from their own, and out of doors rather than at home? What, Gaius Cassius, a man of that family which could not endure, I will not say the domination, but even the power of any individual? he, I suppose, was in need of me to instigate him. A man who, even without the assistance of those most illustrious men, would have accomplished the same deed in Cilicia, at the mouth of the river Sidnus, if Caesar had brought his ships to that bank of the river which he had intended, and not to the opposite one. Was Domitius spurred on to recover his dignity, not by the death of his father, a most illustrious man, nor by the death of his uncle, nor by the deprivation of his own dignity? but by my advice and authority. Did I persuade Gaius Trebonius, a man whom I should not have ventured even to advise, on which account the Republic owes him even a larger debt of gratitude, because he preferred the liberty of the Roman people to the friendship of one man, and because he preferred overthrowing arbitrary power to sharing it? Was I the instigator whom Lucius Tilius Cimber followed, a man whom I admired for having performed that action, Rather than ever expected that he would perform it, and I admired him on this account that he was unmindful of the personal kindness which he had received, but mindful of his country. What shall I say of the two servilii? Shall I call them Cascas or Ahallas? And do you think that those men were instigated by my authority rather than by their affection for the Republic? It would take a long time to go through all the rest, and it is a glorious thing for the Republic that they were so numerous, and a most honourable thing also for themselves. But recollect, I pray you, how that clever man convicted me of being an accomplice in the business. When Caesar was slain, says he, Marcus Brutus immediately lifted up on high his bloody dagger, and called on Cicero by name, and congratulated him on liberty being recovered. Why, on me, above all men? Because I knew of it beforehand? Consider, rather, this was not his reason for calling on me, that, when he performed an action very like that which I myself had done, He called on me above all men to witness that he had been an imitator of my exploits. But you, O stupidest of all men, do not perceive that if it is a crime to have wished that Caesar should be slain, which you accuse me of having wished, it is a crime also to have rejoiced at his death. For what is the difference between a man who has advised an action and one who has approved of it? Or what does it signify whether I wish to have it done, or rejoice that it has been done? Is there any one of them, except you yourself and those men who wished him to become a king, who was unwilling that that deed should be done, or who disapproved of it after it was done? All men, therefore, are guilty as far as this goes. In truth, all good men, as far as it depended on them, bore a part in the slaying of Caesar. Some did not know how to contrive it, some had not the courage for it, some had no opportunity. Everyone had the inclination. However, Remark the stupidity of this fellow, as I should rather say, of this brute beast. For thus he spoke, Marcus Brutus, whom I named to do him honor, holding aloft his bloody dagger, called upon Cicero, from which it must be understood that he was privy to the action. Am I then called wicked by you, because you suspect that I suspected something? And is he who openly displayed his reeking dagger, named by you, that you may do him honor? Be it so, let this stupidity exist in your language, however much greater it is in your actions and opinions. Arrange matters in this way at last, O consul. Pronounce the cause of the Bruti, of Gaius Cassius, of Nias Domitius, of Gaius Trebonius, and the rest, to be whatever you please to call it. Sleep off that intoxication of yours. Sleep it off and take breath. Must one apply a torch to you to awaken you while you are sleeping over such an important affair? will you never understand that you have to decide whether those men who perform that action are homicides or assertors of freedom. For just consider a little, and for a moment think of the business like a sober man. I, who, as I myself confessed, am an intimate friend of those men, and, as you accuse me, an accomplice of theirs, deny that there is any medium between these alternatives, I confess that they— if they are not the deliverers of the Roman people, and saviors of the Republic, are worse than assassins, worse than homicides, worse even than parricides, since it is a more atrocious thing to murder the father of one's country than one's own father. You wise and considerate man, what do you say to this? If they are parricides, why are they always named by you, both in this assembly, and before the Roman people, with such a view to do them honor? Why has Marcus Brutus been, on your motion, excused from obedience to the laws, and allowed to be absent? Why were the games of Apollo celebrated with incredible honor to Marcus Brutus? Why were provinces given to Brutus and Cassius? Why were quaestors assigned to them? Why was the number of their lieutenants augmented? And all these measures are owing to you. They are not homicides, then. It follows that, in your opinion, they are the deliverers of their country since there can be no other alternative, what is the matter? Am I embarrassing you? For perhaps you do not quite understand propositions which are stated disjunctively. Still, this is the sum total of my conclusion, that since they are acquitted by you of wickedness, they are at the same time pronounced most worthy of the most honorable rewards. Therefore, I will now proceed again with my oration. I will write to them, if anyone by chance should ask me whether what you have imputed to me be true, not to deny it to any one. In truth, I am afraid that it must be considered either, a not very credible thing to them, that they should have concealed the fact of my being a, an accomplice, or else a most discreditable thing to me, that I was invited to be one, and that I shirked it. For what greater exploit, I call you to witness, O august Jupiter, was ever achieved not only in this city, but in all the earth? What more glorious action was ever done, What deed was ever more deservatively recommended to the everlasting recollection of men? Do you, then, shut me up with the other leaders in the partnership in this design, as in the Trojan horse? I have no objection. I even thank you for doing so, with whatever intent you do it. For the deed is so great a one, that I cannot compare the unpopularity with which you wish to excite against me on account of it, with its real glory." For who can be happier than those men whom you boast of now having expelled and driven from the city? What place is there either so deserted or so uncivilized, as not to seem to greet and to covet the presence of those men, wherever they have arrived? What men are so clownish, as not, when they have once beheld them, to think that they have reaped the greatest enjoyment that life can give them? And what posterity will ever be so forgetful? What literature will ever be found so ungrateful, is to not cherish their glory with undying recollection. Enroll me, then, I beg, in the number of those men. But one thing I am afraid you may not approve of. For if I had really been one of their number, I should not have only gotten rid of the king, but of the kingly power also out of the republic. And if I had been the author of the piece, as it is said, believe me, I should not have been contented with one act, but should have finished the whole play. Although, if it be a crime to have wished that Caesar might be put to death, beware, I pray you, O Antonius, of what must be your own case, as it is notorious that you, when at Narbo, formed a plan of the same sort with Gaius Trebonius, and it was on account of your participation in that design, when Caesar was being killed, we saw you called aside by Trebonius. But I, see how far I am from any horrible inclination towards, Praise you for having once in your life had a righteous intention. I return you thanks for not having revealed the matter, and I excuse you for not having accomplished your purpose. That exploit required a man. And if any one should institute a prosecution against you, and employ that test of old Cassius, who reaped any advantage from it? Take care, I advise you, lest you suit that description although in truth that action was, as you used to say, an advantage to everyone who was not willing to be a slave. Still, it was so to you, above all men, who are not merely not a slave, but are actually a king, who delivered yourself from an enormous burden of debt at the Temple of Ops, who, by your dealings with the account books, there squandered a countless sum of money, who have had such vast treasures brought to you from Caesar's house at whose house there is set up a most lucrative manufactory of false memoranda and autographs, and a most iniquitous market of lands, of towns, and exemptions, and revenues. In truth, what measure, except the death of Caesar, could possibly have been any relief to your indigent and insolvent condition? You appear to be somewhat agitated. Have you any secret fear that you yourself may appear to have had some connection with that crime? I will release you from all apprehension no one will ever believe it. It is not like you to deserve well of the Republic. The most illustrious men in the Republic are the authors of that exploit. I only say that you are glad it was done. I do not accuse you of having done it. I have replied to your heaviest accusation. I must now also reply to the rest of them. You have thrown in my teeth the camp of Pompeius, and all my conduct at that time, at which time, indeed, if, as I have said before, my counsels and authority had prevailed, you would this day be in indigence. We should be free, and the Republic would not have lost so many generals and so many armies. For I confess that, when I saw that these things certainly would happen, which now have happened, I was greatly grieved as all the other virtuous citizens would have been if they had foreseen the same things. I did grieve. I did grieve, O conscript fathers, that the Republic which had once been saved by your counsels and mine, was fated to perish in a short time. Nor was I so inexperienced in, and ignorant of this nature of things, as to be disheartened on account of a fondness of life, which, while it endured, would wear me out with anguish, and when brought to an end, would release me from all trouble. But I was desirous that those most illustrious men, the lights of the Republic, should live, so many men of consular rank, so many men of praetorian rank, so many most honorable senators, and besides them all the flower of our nobility, and our youth, and the armies of excellent citizens. If they were still alive, even under such hard conditions of peace, for any sort of peace with our fellow citizens appeared to me more desirable than civil war, we should still be this day enjoying the republic. And if my opinion had prevailed, and if those men— the preservation of whose lives was my main object, elated with the hope of victory, had not been my chief opposers, to say nothing of the other results, at all events, would you not have continued in this order, or rather in this city? But say you, my speech alienated from me the regard of Pompeius? Was there anyone to whom he was more attached? Anyone with whom he conversed or shared his counsels more frequently? It was, indeed, a great thing that we, differing as we did respecting the General's interest in the Republic, should continue in uninterrupted friendship. But I saw clearly what his opinions and views were, and he saw mine equally. I was for providing for the safety of the citizens in the first place, in order that we might be able to consult their dignity afterwards. He thought more of consulting their existing dignity. But each of us had a definite object to pursue. Our disagreement was the more endurable, But what that extraordinary and almost godlike man thought of me is known to those men who pursued him to Paphos from the Battle of Pharsalia. No mention of me was ever made by him that was not the most honorable that could be, that was not full of the most friendly regret for me, while he confessed that I had the most foresight, but that he had the more sanguine hopes. But do you dare taunt me with the name of that man whose friend you admit that I was, and whose assassin you confess yourself? However, let us say nothing more of that war, in which you were too fortunate. I will not reply even with those jests to which you have said that I gave utterance in the camp. That camp was, in truth, full of anxiety, but although men were in great difficulties, still, provided they are men, they sometimes relax their minds. But the fact that the same man finds fault with my melancholy, and also with my jokes, is a great proof that I was very moderate in each particular you have said that no inheritances come to me. Would that this accusation of yours was a true one! I should have had even more of my friends and connections alive. But how could such a charge ever come to your head? For I have received more than twenty millions of sesterces in inheritances, although in this particular I admit that you have been more fortunate than I. No one has ever made me his heir, except he was a friend of mine, in order that my grief of mind for his loss might be accompanied also with some gain." If it was to be considered as such, but a man whom you never even saw, Lucius Rubrius of Cassium, made you his heir, and see now how much he loved you, who, though he did not know whether you were white or black, passed over a son of his brother, Quintus Fufius, a most honourable Roman knight and most attached to him, whom he had on all occasions openly declared his heir he never even names him in his will and makes you his heir whom he had never seen, or at all events have never spoken to. I wish you would tell me, if it were not too much trouble, what sort of countenance Lucius Tricellius was of, what sort of height, from what municipal town he came, from what tribe he was a member. I know nothing, you will say, about him except what farms he had. Therefore he, disinheriting his brother, made you his heir, and besides these instances, this man had seized on much other property belonging to men wholly unconnected with him, to the exclusion of legitimate heirs, As if he himself were the heir, although the thing that struck me with the most astonishment of all was that you should venture to make mention of inheritances when you yourself had not received the inheritance of your own father. And was it in order to collect all these arguments, O you most senseless of men, that you spent so many days in practising declamation in another man's villa? Although, indeed, as your most intimate friends usually say, you are in the habit of declaiming not for the purpose of wetting your genius, but of working off the effects of wine. And indeed, you employ a master to teach you jokes, a man appointed by your own vote and that of your boon companions, a rhetorician whom you have allowed to say whatever he pleased against you. A thoroughly facetious gentleman, but there are plenty of materials for speaking against you and against your friends. But just see now what a difference there is between you and your grandfather. He used with great deliberation, to bring forth arguments advantageous to the cause he was advocating. You pour forth in a hurry the sentiments which you have been taught by another. And what wages have you paid this rhetorician? Listen, listen, O conscript fathers, and learn the blows which are afflicted on the Republic. You have assigned, O Antonius, two thousand acres of land in the Leontine district, to Sextus Clodius, the rhetorician, and those too, exempt from every kind of tax for the rhetorician, and those for the sake of putting the Roman people to such a vast expense that you might learn to be a fool. Was this gift too, O you most audacious of men, found among Caesar's papers? But I will take another opportunity to speak about the Leontine and Campanian district, where he has stolen lands from the Republic to pollute them with the most infamous owners. For now, since I have sufficiently replied to all his charges, I must say a little bit about our corrector and censor himself. And yet, I will not say all that I could, in order that, if I have to often battle with him, I may always come to the contest with fresh arms, and the multitude of his vices and atrocities will easily enable me to do so. Shall we then examine your conduct from the time you were a boy? I think so. Let us begin at the beginning. Do you recollect that, while you were still clad in the praetexta, you became a bankrupt? That was the fault of your father, you will say. I admit that. In truth, such a defense is full of filial affection. But is particularly suited to your own audacity that you sat among the fourteen rows of knights, though by the Roscian law there was a place appointed for bankrupts, even if anyone had become so. But let us say no more of your profligacy and debauchery, There are things which it is not possible for me to mention with honor. But you are all the more free for that, insomuch as you have not scrupled to be an actor in scenes which a modest enemy cannot bring himself to mention. Mark now, O conscript fathers, the rest of his life, which I will touch upon rapidly, for my inclination hastens to arrive at those things which he did in the time of the Civil War, amid the greatest miseries of the Republic, and at those things which he does every day. I beg of you, though they are still better known to you than they are to me, still to listen attentively, as you are doing to my relation to them. For in cases such as this it is not the mere knowledge of such actions that ought to excite the mind, but the recollection of them also, although we must at once go into the middle of them, lest otherwise we should be too long coming to the end. He was very intimate with Clodius at the time of his tribuneship. He, who now enumerates the kindnesses which he did me, He was the firebrand to handle all conflagrations, and even in his house he attempted something. He himself well knows what I allude to. From thence he made a journey to Alexandria, in defiance of the authority of the Senate, and against the interests of the Republic, and in spite of religious obstacles. But he had Gabinius for his leader, with whom whatever he did was sure to be right. What were the circumstances of his return from thence? What sort of return was it? He went from Egypt to the furthest extremity of Gaul before he returned home. And what was his home? For at that time every man had possession of his own house, and you had no house anywhere, O Antonius. House, do you say? What place was there in the whole world which you could set your foot on anything that belonged to you, except Mienum, which you farmed with your partners, as if it had been Sissipo? You came from Gaul to stand for the quaestorship. Dare to say that you went to your own father before you came to me? I had already received Caesar's letters, begging me to allow myself to accept of your excuses, and therefore I did not allow you to even mention thanks. After that, I was retreated with respect by you, and you received attentions from me in your canvass for the quaestorship. And it was at that time indeed that you endeavored to slay Publius Clodius in the forum, with the approbation of the Roman people. And though you made the attempt of your own accord, and not at my instigation... Still, you clearly allege that you did not think, unless you slew him, that you could possibly make amends to me for all the injuries which you had done me. And this makes me wonder why should you say that Milo did that deed at my instigation, when I never once exhorted you to do it, who, of your own accord, attempted to do the same service? Although, if you had persisted in it, I should have preferred allowing the action to be set down entirely to your own love of glory rather than my influence." you were elected quaestor. On this, immediately, without any resolution of the Senate authorizing such a step, without drawing lots, without procuring any law to be passed, you hastened to Caesar. For you thought the camp the only refuge on earth for indigence and debt and profligacy, for all men, in short, who were in a state of utter ruin. Then, when you had recruited your resources again by his largesse and your own robberies, if indeed a person can be said to recruit who only acquires something which he may immediately squander, you hastened, being again a beggar, to the tribuneship, in order that, in that magistracy, you might, if possible, behave like your friend. Listen now, I beseech you, O conscript fathers, not to those things which he did indecently and profligately, to his own injury and to his own disgrace as a private individual, but to the actions which he did impiously, and wickedly, against us and our fortunes, that is to say, against the whole republic. For it is from his wickedness that you will find that the beginning of all these evils has arisen. For when, in the consulship of Lucius Lentulus and Marcus Marcellus, you, on the first of January, being anxious to prop up the republic, which was tottering and almost falling, and were willing to consult the interests of Gaius Caesar himself, if he would have acted like a man in his senses, Then this fellow opposed to your counsels his tribuneship, which he had sold and handed over to the purchaser, and exposed his own neck to that axe under which many have suffered for smaller crimes. It was against you, O Marcus Antonius, that the Senate, while still in possession of its rights, before so many of its luminaries were extinguished, passed that decree which, in accordance with the usage of our ancestors, is at times passed against an enemy who is a citizen. And have you dared before these conscript fathers, to say anything against me, when I have been pronounced by this order to be the saviour of my country, and when you have been declared by it to be an enemy of the republic. The mention of that wickedness of yours has been interrupted, but the recollection of it has not been effaced. As long as the race of men, as long as the name of the Roman people shall exist, and that, unless it is prevented from being so by your means, will be everlasting— so long will that most mischievous interposition of your veto be spoken of. What was there that was being done by the senate, either ambitiously or rashly, when you, one single young man, forbade the whole order to pass decrees concerning the safety of the republic, and when you did so not once only but repeatedly? Nor would you allow any one to plead with you on behalf of the authority of the senate, and yet what did any one entreat of you? except that you would not desire the republic to be entirely overthrown and destroyed, when neither the chief men of the state, by their entreaties, nor the elders by their warnings, nor the senate in a full house, by pleading with you, could move you from the determination which you had already sold, and, as it were, delivered to the purchaser. Then it was, after having tried many other expedients previously, that a blow was of necessity struck at you, which had been struck at only a few men before you, in which none of them had ever survived. Then it was that this order armed the consuls, and the rest of the magistrates, who were invested with either military or civil command against you, and you would never have escaped them if you had not taken refuge in the camp of Caesar. And was it you, I say, O Marcus Antonius, who gave Gaius Caesar, desirous as he already was to throw everything into confusion, the principal pretext for waging war against his country? For what other pretense did he allege, What cause did he give for his most frantic resolution and action, except that the power of interposition by the veto has been disregarded, the privileges of the tribunes taken away, and Antonius's rights abridged by the Senate? I say nothing of how false, how trivial these pretenses were, especially when they could not possibly, by any reasonable cause whatever, to justify anyone in taking up arms against his country. But I have nothing to do with Caesar. You must unquestionably allow that the cause of that ruinous war existed in your person. O miserable man, if you are aware, more miserable still if you are not aware, that this is recorded in writings, is handed down to men's recollection, that our very latest posterity in the most distant ages will never forget this fact, that the consuls were expelled from Italy, and with them Nias Pompeius, who was the glory and light of the empire of the Roman people that all the men of consular rank, whose health would allow them to share in that disaster, and that of the people, and a great part of the senate, and all the flower of the youth of the city, and, in a word, the republic itself was driven out and expelled from its abode. And, as, then, there is in seeds the cause which produces trees and plants, so of this most lamentable war you were the seed. Do you, O conscript fathers, grieve that these armies of the Roman people have been slain? It is Antonius who slew them. Do you regret your most illustrious citizens? It is antonius again who has deprived you of them. The authority of this order is overthrown. It is antonius who has overthrown it. Everything in short, which we have seen since that time, and what misfortune is there we have not seen. We shall, if we argue rightly, attribute wholly to antonius, as Helen was to the Trojans. So has this man been to the republic, the cause of war, the cause of mischief, the cause of ruin. The rest of his tribuneship was like the beginning. He did everything which the Senate had labored to prevent, as being impossible to be done consistently with the safety of the Republic. And see now how gratuitously wicked he is even in accomplishing his wickedness. He restored many men who had fallen under misfortune. Among them no mention was made of his uncle. If he was severe, why was he not so to everyone? If he was merciful, why was he not merciful to his own relations?' but I say nothing of the rest. He restored Licinius Lenticula, a man who had been condemned for gambling, and who was a fellow gamester of his own, as if he could not play with a condemned man, but in reality, in order to pay by a straining of the law in his favor what he had lost by the dice. What reason do you allege to the Roman people why it was desirable that he should be restored? I suppose you said that he was absent when the prosecution was instituted against him that the cause was deciding without his having been heard in his defense, that there was not by a law any judicial proceeding established in reference to gambling, that he had been put down by violence, or by arms, or, lastly, as it was said in the case of your uncle, that the tribunal had been bribed with money. Nothing of this sort was said. Then he was a good man, and one worthy of the Republic. That, indeed, would have been nothing to the purpose. But still, since being condemned does not go for much, I would forgive you if that were the truth. Does he not restore to the full possession of his former privileges the most worthless man possible? One who would not hesitate to play at dice even in the forum, and who had been convicted under the law which exists respecting gambling. Does not he declare in the most open manner his own propensities? Then, in this same tribuneship, when Caesar, while on his way to Spain, had given him in Italy to trample on, what journeys did he make in every direction? How did he visit the municipal towns? I know that I am only speaking of matters which have been discussed in everyone's conversation, and that the things that I am saying and am going to say are better known to everyone who was in Italy at that time than to me who was not. Still I mention the particulars of his conduct, although my speech cannot possibly come up to your own personal knowledge. When was such wickedness ever heard of as existing upon earth? or such shamelessness, or such open infamy. The tribune of the people was borne along in a chariot. Lictors crowned with laurel preceded him, among whom on an open litter was carried an actress, whom honorable men, citizens of the different municipalities, coming out from their towns under compulsion to meet him, saluted not by the name by which she was well known on the stage, but of that of Volumnia. A car followed, full of pimps, then a lot of debauched companions, and then his mother, utterly neglected, followed the mistress of her profligate son, as if she had been her daughter-in-law. Oh, the disastrous fecundity of that miserable woman! With the marks of such wickedness as this, did that fellow stamp every municipality, and prefecture, and colony, and, in short, the whole of Italy. To find fault with the rest of his actions, O conscript fathers, is difficult and somewhat unsafe. He was occupied in war. He glutted himself with the slaughter of citizens who bore no resemblance to himself. He was fortunate, if at least there can be any good fortune in wickedness. But since we wish to show a regard for the veterans, although the cause of the soldiers is very different from yours, they followed their chief. You went to seek for a leader. Still, may I not give you any pretense for stirring up odium against me among them, I will say nothing of the nature of the war." End of the Second Philippic, Part 1.